Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to today's first episode of the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and today I have with me Dr. Jeff Reynolds, our Senior Pastor. Jeff, I'm so excited to be here with you in this project. Jordan, me too. Thank you for coming up with this idea, and thank you for putting all this together. I think it's going to be a great benefit to all of us, so thank you for your leadership in this. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're just going to dive right into our questions and go straight uh, into the sermon content. So we're starting a sermon series on James. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faith Works is the title. So James is the brother of Jesus who became the head of the church in Jerusalem uh, after his brother's ascension. James wrote this particular letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. In other words, the Jewish Christians outside the land of Israel. Right. So that's kind of what we have going in. Right off the bat, though, you touched on a theme that I think is really important to frame our study here in James. You said that salvation isn't the goal for a Christian. It's the starting line. Maturity in Christ is the goal. So what is the difference between a saved Christian and a mature Christian? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. We got a visual aid yesterday because we had a baby dedication, and we had this beautiful little baby boy that we dedicated, his parents really dedicated in the presence of the church to the service of Almighty God. And we could see right there in our midst the difference between a baby and an adult. And really, you think about that same sort of analogy when looking at a Christian. Uh, there are baby Christians, people who have just come to Christ. And uh, a baby Christian is dependent, much like a baby human is dependent upon mom and dad for everything. A baby Christian is dependent. Um, of course, we are always dependent upon God, but God brings his community around those who are new to the faith to help them learn and grow. You know, when I first come to Christ, um, I'm very, very young in that experience. There are a lot of things I don't know. Uh, I don't know perhaps the Ten Commandments, much less the Big Two Commandments. I don't know that my life is going to be transformed, that I'm going to be different, and that God has an expectation of me to be different. And so I have to be fed those things consistently and constantly. As I grow, I learn more about what it means to trust and follow Jesus. I learn more about what the Bible says. And so now... I'm not only able to make decisions empowered by the Holy Spirit based upon the Word of God, but I ought to be better equipped to make those sorts of decisions. So you think about a race, and the person who has just come out of the starting blocks is in a different place than somebody who's at the midway, uh, midpoint of the race or near the end. Um, The same thing is true as we trust and follow Jesus. When I am a new Christian, um, there's a lot that I don't know. There's a lot that I need to learn, and I am kind of stumbling my way through as I look to Jesus to follow him. As I grow, I ought to become a little bit more natural in, uh, in my pace. Speaking of growing, it, I was listening to the sermon again, and you talked about how the first step is baptism. Yeah. And it made me wonder, what's, uh, what's the second step, right? Yeah. So I think baptism is not salvific. In other words, baptism doesn't save us. Our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus when we receive Christ. So baptism is that first step of obedience, and really it sets the tone for our lives. I know a lot of folks who have really struggled with the idea of baptism because either they're afraid of water or they're afraid of crowds or they're just afraid of the experience one way or the other. 
Um, the problem is when I'm hesitant to take that first step of obedience, then that makes me hesitate on every subsequent step of obedience. And if I can take that next step of trusting and following Jesus, getting into the waters of baptism, then that opens the door for further obedience in my life. And I've just seen that happen. Um, a buddy of mine did a study many years ago about people who engaged their faith and got involved in the life of the church. Um, and overwhelmingly, those who followed Jesus in baptism then took the next steps of involvement with the community of faith. Those who didn't usually stepped outside of the church and in some cases stepped away from the faith at some point. So it's just very interesting, that correlation. But the next steps are really becoming involved in the community of faith. Uh, when you look at the book of Acts, you notice that the early church really grew as believers came together. And that doesn't mean that there's not a very deep and intimate personal aspect to my faith, that, that the Lord and I are in relationship together. But it means that even though I have this deep and personal relationship with the Lord, God designed us to grow in that relationship within the context of a community. So to keep it simple, the things that I like to label as the next steps is taught in Scripture, and you could really see these in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, um, are things like getting involved in a worship service. You know, the, the early church, that's, that's what they did. They were together, and they were in awe of God. And that's really what a worship service is designed to be, a together time when we together are in awe of God. Secondly, studying God's Word with other people. Uh, of course, we ought to read God's Word every day uh, individually and, and by ourselves. But when we get together, something happens. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And so I learn from my brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe they might learn something from me. Um, my prayer life is vital, and I pray by myself, and I pray with others. Uh, I work on building healthy Christian relationships with people who are going to push me toward Christ, to, to, to stir me up um, toward love and good deeds. And then I serve alongside uh, other believers using the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given me um, in the context of a community in which we together shine the light of Christ. So, so those would be the next steps that I think the Bible would, would lead us into, that we engage in the community of Christ. You know, you touched on several verses in Colossians and Ephesians and Hebrews about maturity. And mm -hmm. when I was looking at verses in maturity in the Bible— you just don't realize how often that word is dropped when, especially in the epistles. Right. Why is maturity in Christ so important to the apostles? Well, you made an, a great point in your observation that when you look through the New Testament teaching, those letters are written to Christians. And so the, the point of those letters is to really help them either deal with an issue and thereby grow or overcome a heresy and thereby grow. The goal is never just to be a Christian. The goal is spiritual reproduction. So what God has given me, I pour into others and raise them up. It's kind of like parenthood. There's a spiritual parenthood, and I got that term from Dawson Trotman. I wrote my doctoral dissertation about him. Spiritual reproduction and spiritual parenthood that a healthy Christian is going to grow and reproduce him or herself in the life of another disciple. And then they're going to be there to guide 
Let me help you as you trust and follow Jesus. Let me give you some pointers that I've learned uh, throughout my journey. And so um, it's just something very healthy uh, and intrinsic to our design that God has given us. Yeah, yeah. Well, and speaking of maturity, James wastes no time in getting into the heavy stuff. So right off in his letter after he introduces himself, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we do live in a sin-fallen world, and we suffer for the um, sins that Adam committed and the sins that we committed. But James doesn't seem to be framing the question from that perspective. James seems to be looking at suffering as some sort of uh, blessing, like in being tested as some sort of opportunity. So is there a difference between being tested and being punished in this world? That is such a great question, um, because there is. And often, uh, even even faithful Christians who've been following Jesus for a long time can feel like that when they suffer, and it's ubiquitous, we all suffer, everybody suffers, um, but sometimes we can feel like when we suffer that God is punishing us for some sort of sin that we have committed, that there is, there is some sort of retributive justice that is happening there. And it's a very important distinction to know that there is a difference between testing or discipline and punishment. You know, punishment is punitive. That's, that's what the word means. That it's, it's retributive. I've done something, so I've got to be gotten back for that something. Um, But the Bible is clear that although the wages of sin are death, and so that's punishment, there is a punishment for sin, that is death, and that is the punishment that we all must endure apart from Christ. So it is not just physical death, it is spiritual death, separation from the goodness and love of God and mercy of God, Um, but there's a free gift of God to all those who trust and follow Jesus. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord, and here's where Theology really matters as we live out our daily lives. In Romans 8.1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, this is a verse many of us are familiar with. It talks about perfect love casting out fear. But I want to give us the context of that. Listen, John says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what is John communicating? If I'm afraid that God is going to punish me, then that means I don't understand the gospel. That means that I don't understand that all of my punishment was laid upon Christ at the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for me for all of the condemnation that was stored up for me because of my sin was placed on Jesus and my punishment was carried out on him at the cross. However, God does discipline us. In Hebrews chapter 12, for example, the author of Hebrews talks about the fact that God disciplines us as sons. And I want anybody who's been a parent to think about the difference between punishment and discipline. Um, Punishment, again, is retributive. It is you have done this, therefore you deserve this sort of penalty. Whereas discipline is different. Discipline is directional. And so when I'm disciplining my children or when you're disciplining your child, of course, he's awfully young, you know, but, you know, um, what we're seeking to do is point them in a better direction 
So if, for example, I have a, a, an adolescent son who has an iPhone and I have found that taking away that iPhone gets his attention immediately. And so if I am taking away his phone, it is not because, oh, I'm just enjoying this. No, I'm seeking to point him in a different direction that's going to be ultimately beneficial for his life. I don't just take away the phone because he does something that angers me. No, I'm trying to to get him to a place where he can become a healthy adult who contributes positively to the world around him. And God does the same thing in us that there are times when he disciplines us and it's it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. Um, but it's directional. So I think about um, and and maybe people are driving as they listen to this, but I think about driving on country roads and coming past um, farms with ponds on them. And there's a difference between a pond that is maybe fed by a spring or fed by a little stream or exits into empties into a little stream. Um, it's it's alive. It's moving. It's it's clear. But have you ever seen one of those stagnant ponds that's just covered with green? Oh, it's yeah. covered with algae or whatever the case may. It's gross. Okay, yeah. um, that's the difference in my mind between punishment and discipline. So it's the difference between guilt and conviction. So. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, but that conviction is directional. It's disciplinary so that we would be transformed and not dwell in that anymore. Guilt is that stagnant pond with green algae and stuff all over it that nobody wants to get in, and that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. So if God is pointing out through his Holy Spirit that I've got sin in my life, it's not to punish me for that sin because that sin's already been punished at the cross. It's to help me grow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I was looking at a commentary on James on this specific passage, and it brought up a, it's a non canonical book, uh, Psalms of Solomon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it mentioned a verse fourteen uh, one: the Lord is faithful to those who love him in truth, to those who endure his discipline. Hmm. Now, you know, just listening to that and sitting back, I'm like, it, it does seem like James is conveying a similar point in that, you know, you, Discipline is just part of the process. Like, you know, we can't avoid suffering on this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just part of the process of being refined, sanctification, and walking this path as a disciple of Christ. Yeah, there's a reason we call the refiner's fire. You know, <laughs> it's not the refiner's, you know, cushy pillow. <laughs> it's, it's, no. it's difficult, um, yeah. and it's hard, but... If we keep in mind that eternal perspective that God is preparing us for eternity with him, and there are things in us that he sees that perhaps we can't see right now, um, and he's bringing those to light and helping us move forward to grow past those things, um, then we can see God's grace even in the difficult moments. So I have one final question in this section. Before the crucifixion, James wasn't a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Jesus even says in Mark 6, 4 that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. So as disciples of Jesus, how should we interact with our family that doesn't follow Jesus as opposed to how we interact with strangers who don't follow him? Is there a difference in that? Well, I think there's a difference just because of the the level of relationship that you have. And quite frankly, the fact that they see you a lot more clearly than a stranger does. You know, we all have 
a facade of some sort. In other words, there's a public persona that we all have that we we kind of leave at the door when we get home. And um, that's good, um, but it also um, can inhibit our witness to those who live with us because they see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I think we have to approach family members with a degree of humility, recognizing that they know us. I would argue that with strangers, we need to come with that same humility, but it's it's utterly indispensable when we're talking to people who know us that well. Absolutely. So. Yeah, yeah. And you, you point out, I mean, even with Jesus who had no sin, he still had a somewhat measured relationship with his family in this particular area. How much more so should we be humble in our relationships with those around us and yeah, our family? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we want to end every episode of this show with a listener-submitted question. So today's question is, was James the brother or half-brother of Jesus? You know, one of our church members came to me uh, after a Vesper service one night, and I had always referred to James as Jesus' half-brother. And he said, why do you call him the half-brother of Jesus? Well, Technically, the reason is they had different dads. Joseph was Jesus's adoptive father, whereas Joseph was James's biological father. Had same mom, Mary. Um, so, from a very technical perspective, that's where the half brother comes in. However, within the context of a family, and within the context of a healthy adoptive family, there the distinctions of 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 half and step and all those sorts of things tend to go by the wayside and be overwhelmed by the love that the family shares. And so um, I changed my approach um, after that conversation. So now I refer to him as Jesus's brother, because although they had different dads, (laughs) Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, They grew up in the same household, um, surrounded by the same love. and, um, And so that's a great question. Um, and I think a great clarification. Absolutely. So thank you, and thank you listeners for joining us today. Uh, I'm so excited to be doing this. I mean, I've gotten so much out of today, and I'm really excited for what we have in the coming weeks in this sermon series. So Jeff, can you uh, pray us out today? Absolutely. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your grace toward us. We don't deserve it. But, Lord, you love us, and you have given your Son that we might be in relationship with you. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would help us to grow. And when we suffer, help us to know as followers of Christ that we are not being punished. But, Lord, that you will use even those difficult moments, those trials, to shape us into the men and women of God that you have created us to be and that you have redeemed us to be. Lord, we know you will be faithful to us by your Holy Spirit. Help us be faithful to you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel and submit a question to the link in our show notes. For even more First Baptist content, visit firstbaptistbg.org.